listening to the SLCC podcast series What's on the Agenda. Each episode brings you content created especially for clerks. The shows include question and answer sessions with sector experts, special guests and much more. Learn more about our podcasts by visiting us at slcc.co.uk slash podcasts. Hello, I'm Shelley Parker, and I'm here at the SLCC Practitioners Conference, and I'm here with David Preston, Chief Executive of the National Association of British Market Authorities, otherwise known as NABMA. Can you tell us a little bit about your career? Because I know that you're steeped in local councils and been around in the career for a long time before moving on to to markets sort of full-time. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so markets and and local councils have sort of gone together for me. Um, I think everybody knows that I actually started out as a market trader when I was 15 years old, um, working on a fruit and veg stall in mid Wales. And that As well as markets, it gave me a real insight into communities and just how important markets are to communities. I still remember this this elderly lady who used to come to the stall about 8.30 in the morning, and she didn't really want anything at all. But probably we were the only people that she saw all week, and and we were her family. Um, And it really brought that home. Um, After that, um, I started off trying to do A-levels and decided, no, that's not for me. And um, there was a job advertised at the local council, and it was an administrative trainee. I'd applied for three jobs. That was the first one I got, and anything to get out of school, that's what I wanted to do. So part of the job, and that was really why I wanted it, was markets, because I could carry on. It was in my blood by this time. And Oswestry Street Market at the time was the largest one in Shropshire, over 100 traders, a large indoor market as well. And the town really was about the market. The market was the heartbeat of the town. I stayed. I knew my boss was going to retire in 1984. He told me if I sort of got my house in order and did some study and there was a good chance I could get his job. And I think when 1984 came along, it was one of those situations where I really wanted the job, but equally I didn't want the job. And I think when I started out, I quickly realised how lacking I was in experience. But the the elected members at the time, they were really good with me. They were good throughout my career. Um, And they gave me lots of opportunities, lots of encouragement. And really it progressed from there. Um, I never had any intention of doing any more exams after my Institute of Market Officers. And then all of a sudden this thing called local policy appeared with Elizabeth Skinner. And I went to one of the induction meetings in in Blackpool. I still remember it at a conference. And uh, I don't know why, but she charmed me and I signed up to do local policy and probably the rest is history. She's still doing the same today, isn't she? I know she is. I know she is. Um, She's a wonderful, wonderful lady. But equally, there are many clerks, um, particularly me, who owe our career to Elizabeth. Um, She took me on to another level, gave me encouragement, um, suddenly saw what the benefit of professional training could be. And probably as a result of Elizabeth, I'm in the position I am today. Um, I, ha- I was I was offered the opportunity to be chief executive of NABMA a couple of years before I took it. And I perhaps could see the way the sector was going. Um, I'd just been president of the society. And it took me up to another level in terms of confidence. And I realized coming up to 60 that perhaps there was another challenge in me and I wanted to do it. So when the opportunity came along and they approached me again, this time I said, yes, hard to leave the sector, still involved in it because a lot of our members are local councils. So I haven't walked away. 
Yeah, and you have a great benefit to the society, of course, because of that move. Can you tell us, I know you're doing a presentation uh, later today. Can you tell us a bit about um, that presentation, particularly the benefits of markets to councils and to the high street? Yeah, I'm going all over the place with it because I'm not sure who's doing markets, who's interested in markets. So a lot of it I'm going to do about the background of markets, the history of markets, which is is quite interesting, particularly when you think about the protection that markets have in common law. And it's about how far a crow can fly, sorry, how far a crow can travel in a day. Um, So there's all sorts of quirks like that. But more importantly, markets now are part of the high street. Um, As we come out of COVID, then uh, many markets are part of events now that local councils are are organising. And local councils are the growth members of our organisation. We have about 90 um, parish, town and community councils in our membership now. And I think as the principal councils and as money's getting tighter, they start to devolve the service. There's a recognition that local councils can actually do it better because they're more in touch with their local communities. What, what sort of problems do parish councils face with it? Um, for example, road closures. I mean, are, are there plenty of cha- challenges for those of us who are thinking about taking on the market? Yeah, it's interesting. In Shropshire, um, when we've done road closures, we always had great support from the Unitary Council. Very often they wouldn't charge us, but I've seen a recent consultation where they intend to to look at that in the future. But also in my job now, we've been dealing with a number of councils around the country. And one of the barriers at the moment to holding events and, and holding markets is the cost of road closures. I think the other thing is the lack of understanding that parish and town councils are actually market authorities or can be market authorities because of the Food Act of 1984. So whilst there are still things like charters and and markets held by prescription, equally the, the 84 Act is a sort of consolidation. And even if you're not sure about whether your charter still applies or whether it's been lost, then that provision of the 84 Act really encompasses your right to hold markets. And it's, it's a powerful piece of legislation. What about rival markets, farmers markets, for example? Are they, they, do they sit along nicely alongside I think it depends. And it's one of the things that we say is that every market authority should have a market policy. And it should explain what the vision is for the market. It should say where the market is and what days it's held. But equally, it should look at what it's prepared to license and what it's not prepared to license. Now, many councils years ago would have been very strict about anything that was considered a rival activity. Whereas now that's changed. So you have continental markets, Christmas markets, car boot sales. I think things that generate footfall, the important thing is that they're licensed and, and, it, and it's done properly. Markets have common law protection um, up to six and two-third miles from the market. And again, that's a fascinating story because how did six and two-third miles come about? And it's basically the distance that a family could travel in a day. It was assumed that a family could travel 20 miles in a day. So they would spend a third of the day travelling to the market, a third of the day at the market, and then a third of the day returning home. So that's where that six and two-third miles comes from. And it extends across um, local authority boundaries. It even it even extends across national boundaries as well. Um, you don't see it enforced as much as you used to, but it is a powerful situation for a market operator to use if problems do occur. And it was something that I, I used many, many years ago. What about other traders in the high street? Do they see the market as competitors? 
Do you get on well with business associations, for example? It's a fascinating one, that. When I started out in Oswald Street Market years ago, the market, um, the, the shopkeepers in Oswald Street did not want the market. Um, there was a ratepayers association set up. Why were these people coming into Oswald Street paying cheap rents for the day and we were paying all these rates? I think it's changed completely now. I think the high street and traders recognise that anything that can generate footfall has to be encouraged. And I think what you're seeing now are many operators that, that provide markets, they're very professional markets now, professional in the way they're set up, the way they're managed and the way that they look. And visually and economically, then they're a huge attraction to a, a town and city centre. Are there any particular initiatives that are running, any campaigns that are running through Number? Yeah, we run, um, and it's wonderful really, Love Your Local Market. So that was that came about really because David Cameron, when he was Prime Minister, um, got Mary Portis involved to look at the future of the high street. And we saw an initial report, which we weren't very encouraged by. And one of our members at the time, um, when interviewed, said, look, you know, the, the greatest driver for the high street and, and what's been there virtually f- forever has been the market, because that's where somebody has a startup business, it's low cost, it's low risk, and then eventually they will move from the market and hopefully start to fill gaps on the high street. And all of a sudden, Mary Porter's thought, wow, that's a great idea, we'll have a national market stay, and that was a recommendation to government. Obviously, that wouldn't work because markets are held on different days, and that was where Love Your Local Market came about for a fortnight towards the end of May each year. It's gone from success to success, and it's gone international worldwide, and it's now held in 25 countries around the world. So in the UK, it's introduced about 12,000 people to market trading, and we believe probably there's around about 1,500 sustainable businesses that's come about. And what time of year does that take place? That's the last two weeks in May. And I think the other initiative, it's not ours, um, but we support it very much, is the National Young Traders Market, which is organised by the uh, National Market Traders Federation. So that takes place really throughout the year, um, where young traders under 30 years um, go to regional markets all around the country. They go across into Ireland, into Wales, and then all the regional winners come together. Um, It's the most fantastic two days over the August Bank holiday on the waterside at Stratford-upon-Avon. And it's really wonderful to see the quality of the businesses that these young traders are promoting. Some of them are hugely successful. They run them as a business, um, as a stall, but they also do it online. And uh, just that final and the atmosphere, it's just incredible. But that is the growth area for our industry. It's encouraging these entrepreneurs to start off in markets and what a great initiative it is. It it, it certainly is. Um, If a, a, a town or parish council is seriously considering taking on the market, what would you advise that they do? I think the first thing is talk to us as the National Association. Uh, We'd be pleased to talk to them, um, tell them about the services that we can provide. Our membership is very, very reasonable. It's less than £500 for a year, but we can provide all that professional help, support, the policy documents and legal advice that they may need to actually start, start a market off. And, of course, you have a website. Can you can you give that a plug for us? Yeah, that's uh, www.nabma.com. Um, that tells a lot about our history. Um, NABMA has been going now for over 100 years. We've got 300 members now um, around the country, and they range from markets like the, the iconic Borough Market in London, Spitalfields, Billingsgate, to many, many uh, markets that are operated by parish and town councils, You know, such as my old authority, which was Oswestry.
You know, that's all very inspirational. Thank you very much. But before we let you go, we know that there's another string to your bow, and that is that uh, you are part of what's often recognised as the oldest boy band in the world. Can you tell us a bit about that? So choral singing runs in my family. Um, my dad um, had a tremendous voice, so of course, as soon as I was old enough, I was thrown into the church choir, um, stayed with that for a long time, and then joined the local male voice choir. Um, but the, the big excitement was um, a, a male voice choir called the Vron Cassathe Male Voice Choir. It's, it's worldwide, it's known as the Vron Male Voice Choir. And uh, yeah, we do lots of stuff. I've travelled all around the world with it. Um, we were on TV a couple of weeks ago with um, a recording that was done with Michael Ball. But in the time that I've been back, Catherine Jenkins, um, Alfie Bow, Russell Watson, we've had the, the pleasure of, of sort of performing with all of these. It's really like, um, I suppose, like a football or rugby club. The mantra of the choir is a brotherhood in song, and sometimes it's a brotherhood in song, and sometimes it's in beer as well in a pub. But we have a great time. If we had more time, I'd asked you to sing for us now. But David Preston, thank you very much for your insight into markets at this this conference today. You're thank welcome. you for joining us. You're welcome.